0: 68th episode of constructed criticism i am your prompt host mason joined by my timely co-host
1: hey, abe how you doing i'm doing great glad to hear that that's awesome well we're it's keep- rare mm-hmm. that someone refers to me as timely though did you know that i have like a history of being
0: really late to things i i did not know that uh but i didn't want to dagger you and call you like late or whatever because you know sometimes like the co-host <laughs> is the opposite and i thought that'd be rude and then you know I'm sure you've cast a couple timely reinforcements in your day, so I was like...
1: That's yeah. true. That's true, I have. Yeah. I Maybe? just don't want everyone to really get the sense that I'm, you know, someone I'm not. No, that's fair. Yeah, you don't
0: want people <laughs> being like, well, I heard on the Constructed Criticism they're very timely, and they're ten minutes late. They're, like, probably dead in a car accident or something. The only logical explanation. They're timely, after all, so...
1: Nope, I just run late a lot. It
0: just happens. Well, that's reasonable. Well, we won't be late on this week's episode. Last week, our episode got lost to time, and truly... A terrible one to mulligan it was the mulliganing episode and i think it was great and we're gonna have to read uh, recover that topic here probably post forgotten realms but in case you didn't know at the time you're listening to this recording there's actually a new set dropping on arena which basically means it's out for the whole world uh about a week from now so on july 8th so it's time for our new tradition of a wrap-up episode and kind of a recap on the last standard set where we kind of go over the pick two set review we talk about what we got right what we got wrong and the lessons we've learned from it as a way to improve and kind of contextualize the format and this one's gonna be a pretty interesting one i think all things considered the set was you know not to bury the lead a little lower power level which we kind of expected going in and kind of proved to be true for the most part minus a few outliers that i'm sure we're gonna talk about later today but first Abe, we need our always improving portion of the podcast it's really what we try to focus on and Abe, what was your always improving moment this week
1: uh, yeah, so my always improvement moment this week is kind of just, I don't know, one of the more important things uh, I think you can really do. And I was kind of inspired by listening to a lot of uh, Table for Two podcast, where Alexander Hayne, on one of the episodes I was listening to, said something to the effect of, uh, like, people's least favorite thing to do is think. And so if you're thinking, you're, like, that's very valuable. When you're doing putting in the thinking... You know, you're going to get to a lot better conclusions than people who really seek to avoid it in a lot of ways. And so I've really been thinking very actively and trying really hard to engage myself very actively in thinking about the problems that I face, either when I play games of magic on Moto or Arena, or, you know, when I am going out and playing disc golf, when I'm playing like a game of Valorant. I'm really trying to make sure that my brain. Is actively working through the problems in front of me, and I'm, you know, thinking critically about uh, just about everything I'm facing to make sure I'm making the decision that I can, you know, rationalize and stand behind the best, uh, rather than just relying on a heuristic or kind of going with someone else's judgment all the time. Um, I don't know. I think it's really been paying off. I felt like, uh, you know, this weekend I played the Sunday Pauper Challenge. With the uh, squirrel storm deck, and that deck is you know a little difficult. You you gotta you gotta know what all your cards do and like how the math works out on uh, not even just generating man and stuff, but also a lot of times it helps to know you know you have to have a feel for how likely it is that you can go off the next turn versus this turn, or you know what what you're really aiming to do. And I I think that I wouldn't have you know had as much success as I did if I wasn't doing this. I just think it's really helped me um, just be focused on improving uh, in a more active way and, and seeing dividends from, like, the things I do rather than kind of saying, oh, you know, it would be nice to, like, like, oh, I should have done that better. Like, I know better. Well, it doesn't matter that I know or could have done better if I'm not putting myself to doing better, and so I've been really trying to put myself to do better.
0: I love to hear that. Well, you mentioned you did well in it. Did you go one to a personal best for you, or how did you do in the popper challenge?
1: Oh, I uh, I top aided oh, nice. at five and one. I was like the five seed. I lost to QB Turtle, the unbeatable quarterback, the goat. Uh, yeah, he had a really really good take on Blue Black Delver, where he was just starting to play miscalculations and spell pierces um, hmm. to kind of attack the fact that there's the storm deck running around, and because usually the the blue pauper decks kind of like. Focus more on counterspell and dispel, just like focused, lean, hard answers. But he was willing to play the flexibility to be able to answer, you know, a deck that's as much of a problem as a uh, as a storm deck is. And then I wound up losing in top eight to burn to some pretty unlucky galvanic relays for like five and six that needed to not hit either so many lands or hit any ritual that wasn't seething song, uh, so that I could I could kill my burn opponent, but. You know, that's how it is when you play a deck like that. It's about the numbers and, uh, you know, I I played to the best of my ability and mulliganed to the best of my ability to be in a position to win where, you know, normally uh, if I cast a relay with a Chatterstorm in my hand uh, for five or for six, um, I'm pretty likely to win there. That's usually the winning state. I did everything I could and then, uh, you know, from there I had to play on and do my best to try to scrap it out after fizzling but didn't come together sure. it was a great tournament you know it's always good to play one where you where you top eight but even better is to play one where you just feel good about how you play Nice
0: we love to hear it that was also your bonus episode of common knowledge this week <laughs> yeah well I, lo- I love that always improving and you know uh, you know spoilers these, these were also our improving things from the last time so we've been kind of working on these for like two weeks now and so mine was the same it was last week which y'all didn't unfortunately get to hear, which was I've had two little local, like, modern tournament things or, like, you know, just, like, cash window boxes, basically. And my goal for both of them was just to go in there and, you know, play well, play attentively and not mess up a bunch of stuff and, you know, be basically focused and tuned in. And it's the thing that I think a lot of people thought about or at least, you know, joked about, like, whoa, when quarantine's over, I'm going to miss so many triggers and, I've had a couple of them now, and uh, I've done pretty well at making sure not to do that sort of stuff and to be mindful and not miss... I think, like, I try to cast a Bone Shard as an instant in, like, a pre-tournament match, and that's about the only thing I've done that was, like, really boneheaded. Which also, by the way, Bone Shard not being an instant is crazy to me. That's a card. That's a lot. Anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah. But besides that, that's been kind of my goal is to do that sort of thing and it's kind of hand-in-hand hand with yours and... It's funny how those things kind of line up without us even talking about that Pretty uh at least last week. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep, those are my. Yeah, ideas. I think
1: that's a I think that's a great one too, is to like focus on just like your paper mechanics especially after after taking time off, so I'm glad that's been working out for you. Have those uh have those those local tournaments can go in.
0: I've been splitting the top 4. I played a different deck every time. I played prowess last week and then food uh the Asmiranda deck this week. I got to say that Asmiranda deck is both impressive and unimpressive at the same time. there's a lot of things that like don't feel like they'd be really good and they don't feel exactly really good but they're good enough i don't know i I, i'm i don't think ursa saga is getting banned anytime soon i'll say that for the podcast but i'm sure we'll get back to that in modern
1: someday that's a spicy one
0: i'm not even sure if it's the best card in the set i think it might be second best so it's uh it's a crazy it's a crazy world we live in for sure but that's gonna do it for this week's always improving segment if you want to support the show you can go to patreon.com slash ccmtg, one of the perks that is getting to ask a question on the show. This week, we're actually going to skip it because these review shows take a little bit longer than normal. But next time you can ask a question, get ready to go. We try to work them into the episode. And sometimes we even actually love the question so much they turn into the whole episode. So if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. You can join the discord, have a conversation. Show always be free. But if you want to show that extra appreciation, that's great. And another way for you to support us is actually to help you get more magic cards. You can go to oasisgames.com and order your magic cards. You can pick up your Asmirandas, your Science of Dracos, your Urza Sagas, your Dragon Rage Channel, or maybe the best card in the set. Who knows? Pick those cards up and many, many more. And use code Would That Be Good at checkout to get uh, 15% off your first order. And use code CCMPG to get 4% back on every order. Then so we can pick up more stuff.
1: And if you're not someone who's so into the paper cards and you just love battling on your arena account, well, you had better get ready to hit the new set coming out in just about a week in style by going over to grayvikinggames.com. They have all of the freshest cosmetics, promo packs, uh, you know, pre-release booster codes, all of the things that you could need for your account for dollars and not gems uh, for, for pimping out. All those sweet, sweet digital cards on, uh, balling on a budget, as they say. And if you're really balling on a budget, you want to save 10% with code CCMTG at checkout over at our friends at com. So, 100%, we'd love
0: to have them. Time to go on to our review episode. So, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to spend this week talking about Haven kind of in its life so far, it's time in the sun of standard, and we're going to be talking about the old pick two cards we did, and if we were right, if we were wrong, and the things we learned from both uh, situations, and, you know, last time we did this, this was Abe's idea, Abe only got to gruel me on my decisions and my choices, because, you yeah, know, unfortunately, Abe wasn't here at that point. But now I get to ask Abe these questions as well. It's so exciting. We get to look back on things. And so normally, you know, in the Pick 2 set reviews, if you've been with us before, we have five categories, and we talk about two cards each, like we're going to do next week for Forgotten Realms. This week, though, we're only going to talk about three categories, Hits, Hopefuls, and Sleepers. And that way, we can kind of focus down on more things. And these cards are really the cards that we expect to see the most play a lot of the time. We are end up seeing the most play where we learn the most about. So that's why we like to focus in on those. And let's start off with Sleepers. A before we go any further, what were your two Sleepers for the set? I'll say mine as well.
1: Uh, So my two Sleepers were Decisive Denial and Blade Historic. Yep, mine were Baleful Mastery and Magma Opus. I think in the
0: episode I I specifically mentioned Magma Opus for Historic, but uh, also having a chance to see play in Standard. And I kind of want to say the first thing I've really learned from these is that these cheating mana cards don't always push into the format like you would expect them to like magma opus uh has done a, a decent amount of play in historic we see it as a way to get payoff of mystic mastery and things like that um and its ability to ramp you a little bit matters and baleful mastery being a cheap answer that you know sometimes turns into a hard answer for four mana has been nice but they haven't really broken the standard in the way i kind of expected them to And I thought there'd just be a lot more of that. And that's been pretty telling because I think normally one of the ways that, I don't know about you, when I look for cards, I look for cards that A, reward me from playing good games of magic, and B, cheat the mana system. Those are kind of the two things I'm always looking at when it comes to cards. So how do you feel about that before we hop into some of your cards and some more general thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that those were like real misses at all. I think that it's really hard for a card right now, to break into standard, which is, I think, something we're going to say over and over again, mm-hmm. is this is that, like, you know, Eldraine sets the bar impossibly high on power level. Like, impossibly high on power level for so many of these cards to compete. And, uh, you know, I think that both Baleful Mastery and Magma Opus were, you know, like, really solid picks. Baleful Mastery, Baleful Mastery certainly on rate, with cards we've seen playing standard previously, and a card that I think, you know, uh, maybe once we're out of out of Eldraine's Wild Ride, uh, will be a, a card we'll see a lot more often in removals packages. And it's a card that's cropped up, I think it was in like some of the original Rogues lists when uh, when the set dropped on his in Historic, and maybe even some in Standard and Magma Opus. Of course, uh, a, a big finisher in the like Tarantula Care Hulk decks. Uh, and like Jeskai control mm-hmm. uh, for, for a bit. So, so I don't want to call these misses at all. I, I think that, you know, your method of evaluating, saying they're cards that are good in, you know, a good old-fashioned game of Magic that also have a bit of flexibility and, and can be a little more efficient than priced is, is a good way of evaluating it. It's definitely different than how I tend to evaluate things, mm-hmm. um, but it, it certainly is is a good one.
0: Well, I want to kind of talk about how do you normally evaluate stuff, and how does that play into your cards, etc So, what what's different about that from you? Because for me, it feels like it's so hard always because context drives the card so much. You know, like there are a lot of cards that see play that you're like, that's all play. When someone comes back to Magic, you're like, yeah, it was great in its format. Doesn't see play anywhere else. So, what? Would, and so for me, I look for like those two things because they're so uh, ubiquitously good in magic, you know, like things that just reward me for playing the game normally do really well. Yeah. Walkers and same for cheating mana. So what about it for you?
1: So I think that like, it's important to be efficient, but that's only one way that cards end up being good. Right. Like there are other, there are cards that like enable things to be, to be broken on the mana system. And then it's like, uh, you know, you find, you find a way to, to cheat around with it, right? Like, Winota is a card that, like, kind of cheats on the system in mana, but also just, like, generating massive card advantage. Um, my picks on this one were kind of more on the, like, efficiency or flexibility line. I think cards that are very flexible wind up being a lot better than cards that are very efficient and rigid. Mm. Like, you know, there's only so many decks that want to play Lava Spike, but there's lots of decks that want to play Counterspell, for example, you know? Like, you can just do We're a waiting. lot <laughs> right yeah <laughs> i mean um mm. but you know you'd think that maybe or even like negate that like there's lots of decks and lots of different archetypes i want to play a card like negate partially because it's efficient but also because it's extremely flexible and the things it answers whether it be you know threats or you know opposing disruption um it, that's not something that like necessarily has to cheat on mana, and I think cheating on mana lately has been like one of the more busted things, and is always kind of just one of the most busted things. But <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not something I always feel like I have to look for because I do think that uh, I do think that a lot of the time it's about like like efficiency doesn't have to be cheating on mana; it just has to be like an ability to disproportionately affect the game compared to what you're paying for it, mm-hmm. or consistently affect the game in a positive way. Sure. Right? Okay. So, like, it doesn't have to be, like... Like, Magma Opus being cast way ahead of schedule is disproportionately affecting the game at that stage of the game. Yeah. Magma Opus on 8 is also still kind of disproportionately affecting the game uh, some some of the time. I don't know if you've cast a Magma Opus in, like, Modern Cube, but you can pay a mana for that card, and it's really good. Um, same with Baleful Master. You can pay 4 mana for that, and it's, and it's worth it, but... You know, I know, when I think about like my sleepers looking at like blade historian and decisive denial, I think that's like almost the perfect example of the kind of cards that I'm kind of drawn to. And I think of, you know, the the innocuous cards um, in sets, which is that like, you know, decisive denial is two like acceptable rate effects in like being the mana leak or the fight spell, but the fact it is both is what made it really special to me and why I thought it was. Uh, why white had a lot of potential and blade historian has the potential to double the power of all of your creatures effectively with with double strike or make them you know impossible to block uh mm-hmm. because people can't be blocking them double strike creatures and keeping their creatures sometimes you know what i'm saying no that's true so uh so you know, it's it's a little more than just cheating on like the mana you spend to cast it i guess it's like kind of my point i, I try to look at the at the impact a card can have on the game like i try to look at Usually a card's floor is where I start, and then the ceiling is, like, if it's super high and the floor is high, then obviously that card's really good. Um, But being very flexible raises a card's floor in the average case for when someone plays it. So uh, I tend to try to look a lot at the floor and then, you know, compare it to, like, the other cards that it could be like, so...
0: Sure, that's fair. And for worth, Decisive Denial has, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the Blue-Green Historic decks, it's become a three or four of an all of those, along with cards like Negate out of the sideboard to be like a more flexible,
1: stompy deck. So, yeah.
0: it, you know, it has seen play. And all it was the- also in the
1: Teamer Luka decks for like a long time. I'd always play, when I was playing the SCGs before the SCG Tour Online stopped, like, you know, I would constantly have to be playing around one or two copies out of the team Luka deck. Um, I played against some variants of, Green, blue, stompy decks that were kind of dubious, but you know, backed up by the card, and it looked very good there. So, I, I feel like that was kind of a hit, and uh, or at least a, a good call on what a sleeper was. And Blade Historian also did see playing a lot of Winota decks, although those didn't really hang on for the length of the format.
0: Yeah, I'm curious if those will come back. You know, with we're getting our last set, you know, like we're gonna talk about this a bunch next week, but Forgotten Realms is essentially the core set this time. We don't quite know if the power level is supposed to be equal to a core set or more equal to like you know a, a base set as you would so it's a little confusing as to how strong attacks actually going to be but this is normally that time where they're like hey we know cards are rotating here's something that's a little more oomph you know i think of like soren uh lord of innistrad is like the a good example of that where it's like there's a little bit of time where we had that in champion and champion dusk in the same standard format and that was busted and they knew it was busted and it's a powerful thing to do in historic still so uh yeah, I'm curious to see how that stuff plays out. And I think, you know, one of the things that I really like about both our picks is that they're reasonable, but they still have the chance to be completely unreasonable cards. If that makes sense. Like when they actually play out. And I think that's something really good for to look at. Because, you know, one thing that I don't know how, how much you get this, Abe, but we probably got a lot more back at Star City. But sometimes we get comments like, oh, is this really something I should be looking at? Or is like, this actually good enough for a game of Magic? And I think we did a good job of not you know, being too scared of it and the, identifying cards that really do have big impact when they see play. Like, a fight spell and a counter spell split card makes play a lot harder and, a lot, you know, makes it a lot more difficult and tricky. Same with, like, the double striker out of the Winota decks there with Blade Historian. Yeah. And there was a, a chance that card even maybe saw play in the mono-white deck. You know, that was talked about for the first couple of days. So, I think that sort of thing is really big and really helpful to look at and is hopefully good for players who I think sometimes one thing that's like when you first start playing right Abe is that people tell you think about the worst case possible first because what the what happens is new players tell you like so I got 16 zombies and I cast my spell and my spell says with all the zombies and like you're like okay they're like what if you have like a zombie or two and so I think they kind of they overcorrect right and then it becomes dies the doomblade guy you know and they're like all dying is to everything and so it's good it's good to course correct a little bit there I'm glad that we were able to uh kind of highlight that there I will say if I could go back, the one thing I maybe put over Baleful Mastery or change, and it's probably funny because it probably should be in the hit as well as Expressive iteration. I think uh, that part is kind of the
1: one that was a little... For me, I I think Expressive iteration was kind of talked about enough for me to say it was a hit. Like at the time, I remember, like I think Jerry wrote about it, probably Mm -hmm. Todd wrote a thing about it or wanted to. I imagine that's like kind of card was, I, I think it was he would like
0: after it came out but maybe it wasn't
1: i think it was like all uh, leading right up to it it's it, with the yeah. previous seasons the way they are it's just it's all such a blur but yeah. a card that i think got absolutely like i don't know just totally flew under the radar but then immediately was like a role player improving one of the best decks was quandrix cultivator that mm-hmm. card like it made it to so the. Sultai didn't have to play, like, Essica's Chariot anymore and, like, could always have... Like, it just had more mana sources and was able to, like, stay the ground a lot more. It made the Mono Red matchup very different um, for that card to be around. And, like, you know, it, I think Quantus Cultivator is probably the biggest the biggest sleeper there was. If you're going to say that, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're going to say that Expressive Iterations off the table, I think Cultivator just... Like, I don't know, it it just really outperformed, I think, everyone's expectations of it. It was just another good gold, you know, draft card. It was going to be a good rate that gets you a land, like whoop-de-doo, but uh, the fact that it was a play you can make on four and leave up Mystical Dispute really mattered in the mirror matches and mattered against Teamer. um the the fact it was a body that you could commit that early really mattered especially against decks like rogues where sometimes you needed to like put a little pressure on them if they were going to play a more controlling game against you a soul tie, card was just really good.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's a great call actually. The cultivator was a, a really big one, and I'm sure when we kind of talk about the standard format near the end it will come up again. Let's talk about our hopefuls. Mine were Velmachus Lorhold, which I believe at the time was specifically for historic. <laughs> And Marinda, the student advocate, which was also historic, uh, but with a potential for standard. What were your two hopefuls before
1: we go into it? Uh, My two hopefuls were Demogoth Titan and Quandrix Command. I forgot about the the Titan making the list. The thicky Titan. Uh, It's so big. (laughs) 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 Well, do you want to do... Maybe we should
0: talk about the Titan. You know, it it needs to get some time in the sun. Uh, Yeah, I mean, here's the
1: thing. And I'm... In defense of, of Goth Titan, right? I've, I really was hopeful that a card like this could be, like, possibly good. It is just big. And, like, that's kind of why I am hopeful was hopeful for it. This is a section where I get to pick cards that I just think, like, you know, if these get to see play and these are cards people are excited about and play with, that's awesome and I love that. Goth Titan is peak that to me because, you know, we could have had Jun Fury. It could have been on the table. It could have been a thing. Who knows? You know, like, a little double-its-power flick, Cosmos Fury U for 22, upstairs. It was all possible. It just didn't happen. And, uh, you know, it's tough out there with Brazen over floating around to pay 4 mana for an eleven ten that has a huge drawback to be involved in combat and does nothing else. But... (laughs) And then you have to also play (laughs) it. But... But... It was sweet. And, um, you know... The kind of thing that uh, that is a little exciting. I think Quandrix Command a card I had a little more hope for that. Like when we came to this episode, it would have you know seen play in a copy or two. But again, it, it's kind of gameplay that's really smothered by the way that this format is. You know, like people aren't really casting too many artifact enchantment spells that you can interact with or want to interact with bouncing creatures and planeswalkers like generating tempo like that is not really a thing that most of the blue green decks want to do because they're kind of mid-rangey or if you're generating tempo it's much much better to do it with uh with um goldspan dragon and with cards that protect goldspan dragon um and like the combat trick mode also wasn't that great so you know i was hopeful i think they still have a chance i think Maybe less so Damiel Titan. That really was just kind of a pet thing. But who knows? It is still big and will always be big. 21 points of power and toughness distributed across a card for four mana is a lot. But I do think Quandra's Command uh, has has a good chance um, after rotation to to show up. And maybe it's once it's explored, it's not really in the play patterns of the format, but it could be. And, and I think it's, you know, a card that, if a card like that is good, I, which is what I said during the episode, if a card like that is good, I'm happy about it. And I like those kinds of games, so.
0: Yeah, I think Quandrix Command has like a real shot to come up. And it's the sort of thing that looks for certain play patterns to be the thing and to support certain play patterns that aren't always the easiest, right? And uh, I think the Eldraine cards definitely don't help with those play patterns. And we know once those things leave and we have a smaller standard format, I think both these cards have a much bigger chance to shine. I think Dagomus Titan strikes me as a card that in a five set standard has a much more realistic like, yeah. hey, like things aren't as strong, and I'm an <laughs> <You know? laughs> eleven <Like, laughs> ten. I'm still big. Yeah, exactly. So I I think there's like a, a real chance or something like that to actually kind of break through, and it, it definitely it's interesting because that's a card that I think you know a lot of people were pretty low on, but some people did have real hopes that Dagomus Titan would be like an actual player just because of how large it actually is. Um, and being that large, as the kids would say, is uh, is is powerful in certain environment. So that's something that I definitely keep my eyes on. Yeah, looking so. At, mm-hmm. So what about yours? Yeah, so probably should start with Velimachus. Uh That card got Time Warp banned. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't. It did. Yeah, the the Time Warp Velomacus deck just kind of overtook Historic and overtook. I, I guess it was a League weekend or maybe it was a Pro Tour. It's also confusing since the end of organized play and the way it's been so it's unclear to me actually what killed it when it came to like that weekend but the data kind of showed it was too good and you know velomachus plus time warp wasn't like you know i put on my <laughs> my science hat and figured it out it was kind of there you know if you looked at all the cards in the set you know brian Gottlieb was talking about it a bunch um and you know none of us really had it in the previous season but i think zachary keen came out with the indomitable creativity build as like the first person i think it actually got leaked he was testing it for like a, a split weekend or something. And that deck was very, very strong. I actually didn't play with it very much. But it was a really powerful deck. And Velimachus continues to be a really powerful card. And I think the my big thing I said about Velimachus in that episode was it's probably the best reanimator thing you can do in uh, Historic. And, you know, cheating into play with Enomal Creativity. That's the same thing in my head. And I think that's still true. And I think this card is going to be a card that we will see be a thorn in people's sides anytime it is really prominent in play. Um, It is
1: just very good at what it does. Yeah, it's extremely powerful. It's kind of like, I don't know, an even more busted, like (laughs) Ojitai. You know, where like, I get it in play, I'm attacking with it, I'm drawing a card, but in this case, I'm getting it in play. It's attacking you this turn. Uh, And because it's in a form of, like, Teferi, you probably can't interact with it. And it's going to cast the spell... So I'm going to get my mana's worth out of it Im- immediately, and it fits in with some of the best stuff. And... and I don't know. I, I think that, like, the fact that it also existed with Time Warp and Mizzix Mastery and... Uh, yeah, there's probably more effect and indomitable creativity and... Uh, and Brainstorm. And, looting. and <laughs> looting. Which, by the way, the the four cards I just named there are our, are four, are our four Mystical Archive choices, all of which... I think it performed phenomenally, Yeah. as, as one might expect. Um, Who knew that brains really were going to gonna be
0: good? I, yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, I picked the only one to get banned, so I think that you know. So far. maybe I was a little more on. Yeah, we'll see how long the rest of them last. Yeah, but yeah, like that card. Once the shell was there to to get it into play, uh, consistently and quickly, uh, it was it was off to the races. I do wonder, like. Like, is that what you wanted? Did you want it to really be that good? Or did you want it to be kind of like a cool, like, tier two thing? Were you like happy that it was something that was really broken and really like powerful once it was happening? Or was it something where you were like, kind of, eh, like, is that like, is that really the kind of gameplay that we wanted?
0: Yeah, that, this is kind of the hard part of these cards. So this actually this gives me a great moment to soapbox, box so thank you. So some people argue that we shouldn't print cards like Velimachus that do these sort of things because they have two modes most of the time, right? They have what happened with Velimachus and Time Warp, which is dominate the format, are not fun and blah, 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 blah. And the other mode is we never talk about Velomachus, and I come on this podcast, and I say, well, hopefully in the next set, you know? But, like, that that is kind of it. But I think there's a middle ground that isn't really appreciated and explored, and that's kind of like the figuring out the Velomachus stuff. And a lot of people don't, unfortunately partake with that because that's like it really appeals to a certain type of player and for all the Velimachus's there are there's 20 that fail and the ones that fail people actually have a lot of fun with I think trying to figure out and they they win their couple games and you know ultimately they decide not to play it or they accept the bad win rate and they do play it and I think that stuff's really good so I I like cards like Velimachus and I actually don't mind them hitting as hard as this one did I think specifically because Velimachus wasn't designed with Time Warp in mind nor should it be. We've actually seen that start to see play in Modern a little bit. Uh, I believe Xan top a challenge with a Velmocus Time Warp <laughs> deck. So it's like basically the historic deck in, in Modern. Uh, but, you know, that sort of thing I think is fine. And I, I'm okay with them hitting because it, you can always just get rid of it if it's too oppressive. But I think the real problem with these kind of cards is that they're fun in small doses. But when they're the thing to do, I don't love that because... Not because I don't like playing against it, because it's whatever, I'll try and figure out how to beat it or I'll play it myself. But for a lot of people, I know that's really frustrating when they log on to Arena and their experience for like an hour and a half is playing against three Velomachus decks in a row. Because if you play against the Velomachus deck's one in 100 games, you're like, oh, that was really cool. And I saw this happen with a lot of streamers. They played against the Velamakis deck the first time, and they were like, whoa, that's really cool. What a cool deck. And then three weeks later, they're like, I hate my life, ban it. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, once once it's one 100 games you're not playing against Velamakis, your tune really changes. And I think that's true for a lot of things, you know. I just think that things that uh, combo out and, like, don't let you take turns uh, invoke a pretty strong response. So, yeah. I don't know, I guess my answer is yes, but I kind of know for other people, you know, selfishly yes autristically now but
1: yeah i think that like to me it kind of seemed like part of it was a historic being historic bearing too much weight in magic kind of right like you know mm-hmm. people can't play paper magic they can't play all of the formats that we've been offered for years and years prior historic is really carrying the weight of not being standard and standards in the predictably kind of mediocre place it can get to when it's extremely explored, and there's cards that are just much better than the other cards. Um, and then it just hit this breaking point. Well, the one of the only two Pro formats there is is Historic, and we found one broken deck. So, uh, yeah, everyone's going to play it, and it's going to be the best thing. But I do think that, uh, you know, like, I think a lot about Omnath and how Omnath was, like, so egregious... Because out of the box, all you had to do was play other landfall cards with it and some cultivates. And the card was already amazingly broken. It was just, like, so insane. And I think that, you know, the fact that it took so long and for people to explore, you know, this bulk mythic otherwise from uh, from Aether Revolt or uh, Kaladesh Remastered if you only play Arena. That, like, does the thing of polymorphing and it played enough ways to, like, make these treasures... Uh, that it could do it consistently, or Dwarven mind to like make a 1-1. Uh, the fact that it took that much time, and then there was this payoff of it being really good, was kind of exciting, and I think that that's like, I agree with you, a success as a as a game piece like that, when you're looking for a combo-y kind of, uh, I forget which archetype it is, but, uh, you know, just a card that really excites the right kind of player, and I think that, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of people who had a lot of fun playing the deck, and then probably by the time it was banned, they'd gotten all their jollies from it. So, yeah, I'm also kind of pro things like that being allowed to happen. And it's, uh, I, th- I think it's not usually so bad if it's not half of the magic people play, yeah, you know. So,
0: yeah, I think, I think the thing that the last three or four years has really shown us in magic is that if it's the same thing all the time, people don't really like it, you know, yeah, they like a good balance, even if the balance is like. Three things instead of two things or one thing, the more they can get and sell that semblance of control that they really like, and they actually don't like too many choices because then they feel like they have no control. So it's a very very hard job our friends at Watsy have. Uh, but yeah, and that's kind of my thoughts on Elamakis. Then from Ravina, the the owl teacher, um, you know, <laughs> I love the feather decks. I love that kind of archetype. I love like the pump spell decks and standard things like that, and those try to like get you dead decks. Uh, I really thought that having an ability to get a free spell on both turns with things like Defiant Strike being in the format might have pushed this over the top, but it still just has not enough pieces that are strong enough on their own, I think, and too many inherent flaws, you know, like you need the pieces and you need to have already cast the pieces and this thing needs to be protected, which means do you want to cast your spell because if you cast your spell, now you don't have that God's Willing in your graveyard, and I, I've played a good bit of this card, and what it felt to me, and the thing I underappreciated, and I'll try to think about more of these cards going forward, is I underappreciated how good it is at keeping itself alive, and then how that play pattern would make me think, how make me play in the game. And what actually happened is, is it became, Mavinda became target kill spell gets fizzled, if your opponent casts another one this turn, I die. Because I would just have a God's Willing in my graveyard, so my opponents have to be like Heartless Act. And I'd be like, aha! And they'd be like, all right, but I had another one. And I'd be like well good beats you know i put my my card in the graveyard yeah uh and so i I think while that card you know it kind of like velomac is kind of like gets your eyes glowing and like oh you can really do some stuff you can like define strike a bunch and get a lot more i could play giant growth i think decks that try to incentivize you to giant growth or giant growth adjacent cards are awesome and we should try to push for those decks more um are good for magic and good for standard and even historic but Uh, it turns out the best thing to do with that kind of card is actually to play Protect the Queen with it, and then to never really use its ability until, like, your opponent puts the shields down, developing something, and then it becomes like, aha, define Strike twice. So, yeah, I I think... uh thinking about more how the cards are going to play out in the moment and what they will reward is something I can think about more. Cause I think I did a poor, I realized that like, Oh wow, my card's really good. And I think I even mentioned how we having God's willing and snakeskin veil will be good with this card. And maybe that's going to be the trick is like a white green build of it. And I didn't, I failed to realize like, okay, if I can make my creatures never die, will I ever use the other modes of this card? And the answer is no. If all my creatures are indestructible or take two kill spells, I'd rather do that mode. So that's yeah. kind of the lesson I learned from this and my thoughts on that card as well.
1: Yeah, I also think that there's something to be said for the fact that a card like that plays so much higher on the curve than it seems like it would, because it's a card that you can't cast, and, like, it goes, you want to build a deck that around having all of these effects, but it's not a card you want to cast unless you already, ideally, have a Snake's Conveil god God's Willing in the graveyard so it can protect itself, or you have one in hand and, like, can use your Defiant Strikes freely and then use these cards from hand to protect it, and then it's set up, it's kind of like Kira... Great glass spinner, which is uh, like just counters the first thing that targets creature control every turn, um, and in that you know it just you have to force through the shields it has on it. Um, but you know your deck has to kind of be proactive enough, and then also have that. And there's only so much room for a card like this to to fit into the rest of that going on. And I think we kind of saw with the feather decks too, where like feather in standard was kind of backing up like dread horde Arcanus being powerful and uh like Reckless Rage being powerful with it where and, and controlling the board in that way. But without having so many things to develop that you can also like use, I think Dread Horde Arcanus is probably one of the better ones. But uh it, it's it's hard to make a card like that work. And also the card isn't just a three mana two, three flyer that then starts generating a bunch of card advantage. It's actually kind of like a five or six mana card. Because of all the other things we have to do to get it in play in the position you want it to be for it to be at its best.
0: Yeah, 100%. Let's move on to our hits. Uh, my hits were Leonin Lightscribe and Mika Crafty Companion. Abe, what were your hits?
1: Uh, my hits were Silver Quill Silencer and Vanishing Verse. And I was actually really surprised that neither of these caught on, but also at the same time, I guess like there's not many decks playing black and white at the same time so at least not in standard so maybe i shouldn't have been so surprised but it seemed like the core was all there and that vanishing verse was like a pretty solid answer but
0: yeah vanishing verse it has seen some play in modern and pioneer and historic but yeah when it comes to standard it has been kind of gone, and I, it's like you said, there's just not much incentive to be black and white. Turns out all the good adventure creatures are in Teemer. Uh, Whoa!
1: <laughs> <laughs> crazy!
0: No, <laughs> no, but you know, jokes aside, like there just hasn't been that oomph to be that sort of deck. There's not a real payoff. There's not really enough in the metagame that rewards you. And I, I want to get into that talking here in just a little bit once we're done for a long with these cards. But yeah, I am surprised Vanishing Verse has not seen play. Silver Quill Silencer... It's a really cool card. I think it's really awesome, but I'm not super surprised about that one to be honest. Uh, I don't know how how do you feel about that statement. I
1: I still think that's a card that you're underestimating. I think it's really held down by Bone Crusher Giant because uh, you know it's a three-two for two, and the fact that you can mix Bone Crusher Giant through the removal and they still have such a density. Like the deck that that would be good in at Naming Stomp doesn't exist but i think that that card is still very powerful anytime you get a card off of it or it makes your opponent play awkwardly and your deck is aggressive um it it feels like it feels like that's a that's a good card i'm still hopeful that this card makes waves i think it's still got a long long journey ahead of it where it will it will show up somewhere I, I think that you're, like... I agree I think you're that you're kind it. of... <laughs> <laughs> I think that you, uh... I think you're really underselling cards like this. But maybe I'm overselling them. Like, I do, like... You know, I really like Meddling made but Meddling made like, literally bricks a card, whereas this card gives your opponent a bad choice. But, uh... You know, like, three life and a card is a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. And, uh... When there's, like, one or two cards that are really only worth naming. Like, if we get to a point where there's a format where people are playing sweepers again, uh, you know, this is instantly a card that you're going to want to have in your in your white, black, aggressive deck, and just name the sweeper, because then they're going to have to find a removal spell for this, and then their sweeper, which already makes it worse for them, because ideally they'd want to cast their sweeper and then cast their removal spell on the next thing, or they're just going to cast the sweeper, you're going to get an additional hit out of this card, and draw a card, so then it's like you're going plus one and then attack as if they just had the removal spell later anyway. So I think the like... I think it's got... It's got time. I'd like to see after rotation. I could be eating my words on this one in six months, but I, I, I would be I very eat. surprised. I would be very surprised if uh, if this card never is a card that I mess around with and put in a deck, or is a card that I even register for an event. So...
0: You, you'd be surprised? So you're telling me if with Innistrad dropping scgs and gps to come back which of course they're not but whatever we're gonna pretend they are that you believe that over the time from now to the next rotation when these cards leave that you would be shook if you did not at least think about
1: registering that card this one's for the youtube people all right <laughs> i got my four binder right here <laughs> There's four Check silver it. quill silencers. i've got four silver quill silencers right here ordered from our friends at oasis games they hooked it up one of them's even the full art that's true the like extended border and look, i got these Skycliff operations. This is already
0: the start of a good deck. <laughs> I was going to say, this is like the classic, the guy she tells you not to worry about, because above the card is for <laughs> Apparition, and below is for Skycliff Scourges, which are, like, multiple format powerhouses.
1: <laughs> yeah, but Silver Pearl Silencer, I think, has that kind of potential. It just needs time, it needs okay? Cool. Every king That's needs a strong That's all <laughs> I'm saying, is that it needs a little time, and these things to be right for it. And, that, like, you know... Vanishing Verse also an amazing card on raid at answering things, um, and I especially thought it would be better in modern. But Heliod kind of also dwindled at the same time, and Vanishing Verse fell off because exiling Heliod was not as important anymore. Um, but you know these cards are are both just kind of not allowed in standard because if you're going to be playing a deck that is not playing the adventure cards and not playing Edrolling Keeper. Like what what are you doing? <laughs> you, got, you have to be playing a monocolored snow based aggressive deck or a two-color snow based deck with like Goldspan Dragon. That's like really all we're seeing mm-hmm. um out of the format. And so you know, give it some time. Give it give it time for format to not be just about the things it's about right now. And you know, maybe Silverquill Silencer naming Goldspan Dragon will be Chef's Kiss.
0: Maybe it will. Maybe. come on mason give <laughs> me a little bit Dude, don't tell me, I that got you you me you can't understand i got you on mansion verse easel so the thing that the thing is for me is that i hear you talk about the card is it feels to me like a lot of the times you're talking about curve out situations but the punish is much stronger in those curve out situations but that's not normally how it kind of plays out with the black white aggressive decks a lot of the time i'm like normally a little bit more resilient and durable So like their strength is things like that, right? Where like the board wipe doesn't hurt them as much or the stomp doesn't hurt them as much, but they don't push the damage like an Embercleave deck does. Where like an Embercleave deck would love to have Silver Quill Silencer because it's like, okay, I actually hit you for enough that three damage on turn four is a real cost for you where I'm going to turn into a real cost. You just don't know that yet. Like with a Phoenix from Ash, right? Um, And so I kind of have a little problem there where you seem to be speaking of and thinking of it like a meddling mage more where it's like, this card's basically meddling mage because i put them at three when it happens but i think you're gonna put them to like nine which is still good i'm not saying the card's terrible you know but i just i'm a little more suspect of it giving the hit title is big don't worry i got two bad cards you get to get me in a
1: second (laughs) i just think and this is the last thing i want to say about it because we already think i've spent way more time on it than either of us would have wanted but uh i think that the fact that it's like, those scenarios I'm, I'm thinking of are the obvious ones, but I think the fact that when you name a mid-range deck's ideal turn three or four play, or you name, like, the opposing aggressive deck's curve-out top-end card, it does change those situations so much. Like, if I was able to play a deck that I'm, like, named Torbrand, then suddenly, like, racing you is kind of more on the table. Maybe not Torbrand exactly, but if I name Embercleave, then suddenly you're at 17, right? Because you're going to need that card to kill me. Or if I name... Uh, you know, my opposing blade historian, right? If, if there's a card that your deck operates on, it suddenly makes it so that that card is much worse when I draw this card and the card is good on rate. I, so I think that it's... I think that's
0: not true, though, when you're saying that. I think it's actually the opposite of what you said is true. So I think, like, in a deck like Winoda, because my deck functions, I must play my card and I'm rewarded a lot for playing my card, right? So, like, if I slam Winoda, I'm paid off big. But if you, like, have a, a deck full of medium cards then naming your card has more impact because its impact isn't as strong. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, but I So not like, know. There's got to be a way to find the, to get information on their hand. There's going to be ways. You know, it's going to happen. I, I, I agree. We're like, going to be tired of winning, Mason. Us here <laughs> at Silverquill, we're going to win until we're tired of winning.
0: I, I'm just saying that I think that your statement is true. The more equal and power level your cards are, but the more drastically powerful your cards are, if they have life to spare, I think the worse that card gets.
1: Yeah. Like, well, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. it's not going to be as good as, as Medley Mage against Winota, which is kind of like a combo aggro deck, for yeah. sure. But I, I, I think like... that, you know, if I named Lovestruck Beast against some of these decks, like, that, that's kind of big that they either have to take three to cast a Lovestruck Beast and then risk me having an answer to it, like Skyclave Apparition. Yeah. Uh, I, agree, I agree with that. I Punching through it, right?
0: Like... The Torbran... Denver, I, yeah Eve, one no die. i mean I, I just wanted to yeah
1: well those cards are just kind of egregious on their own right those cards are just kind of some of the more powerful top end cards we've seen but i agree that's why meddling mage
0: is so good <laughs> it stops it. It well, well like, yeah so because cool. it stops when cards are too cards.
1: good meddling mage can answer it but this card isn't it's not the meddling mage <laughs> for for unfair things it's the meddling mage for fair things it like rewards you for pegging their hand and getting it right yeah yes. anyway mason Quill, Silent what you you to it? It curving tell out. me about them
0: <laughs> Yeah, Civil Crow Silencer really <laughs> says, hey, draw your best hand. If you do, I really lose. <laughs> 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 You're watching it all. was just hit his head on the desk. All oh right, my well, uh, my cards are just complete all-stars. I don't know why we're not talking about them sooner. Uh, <laughs> we have Leon Light Scribe uh, and Mika the Crafty Companion. I'll, I'll start with the Light Scribe because uh, I think it plays into the bird owl lady that we talked about a second ago. And I really thought that sort of thing would be strong. Like, the there's, like, a good chance for it, too. Um, like, having a Magecraft aggressive deck. And Dragon Dragonscale Elite, I think, is a card that I forgot to mention in the show, but I thought was good. It's the two-drop that has Magecraft plus one, plus one counters. And you can, like, spend five or six to double its counters. And I think that card's really strong. I think both these cards are really strong. They're just not... They haven't done their thing yet. And I think they're kind of in the same vein as Silver Quill Silencer, where there's a chance that they're going to see play and be big parts of a format. I wouldn't even be surprised if those homies hold hands together, <laughs> but I think it's a little harder for them to make that bust through into the format. Um, and I just think Leonard and light scribe requires a little bit too much and the payoff is a little too hard to really get going um, for Leonard Lightscribe. and light scribe. And I think, I think I actually gave Clover Illuminancer an honorary mention at that time. That card is another big miss for what it's worth. That card has not done anything in any format. It is. Turns out we don't yep, need the 12th one drop in prowess if it's another color. We'll just get Dragon Rage Channeler six months later and be cool. <laughs> so <laughs> Or Ragavan, whatever. Who cares? Whichever one you want. But, you know, uh, I think that sort of thing, specifically for Standard, maybe has a chance. And we saw all the green-white adventure decks do really well before. And I, I remember thinking that that was going to be the trick was you have creatures and spells that are on the same cards. It's going to push you over the top. But uh, it, it just did not play out like that. I doubt it will for the remainder of the adventure time. But yeah, I think it was just a little too much going on all at once. Uh, and the payoff is too little for all that's going on as well, barring an actual kill. So I think that's kind of part of the big miss. Do you want to talk about
1: Luna and Light Scrab before I switch over? I know I did kind of went on your Silver Quill Silencer, so...
0: Um. <laughs>
1: No, I just think that, like, if there's a lesson that I think I would try to give to you about cards like lightscribe and Light Scribe and um, Mika. And the other card that gets counters.
0: Oh, the, um, the, the the scale lady. I forgot their name.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I, I think that, and I don't think you're the only person who does this that I know, and I might even be wrong for being so down on cards like this. But I think cards that just really require you to have significant investment to enable them, like, I think we're not in the age of, like, Curry and Dryad being a good card anymore. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, it's so much weaker than it was because it's so much harder to have good, cheap spells. They've kind of, like, really reined in how many of those they print. We get, like, Opt every now and again, and it's, like, pretty pretty solid, and we always get Shock. But, you know, like, the they're privy to how good it is to be able to pay one man and cast a spell. Like, Crash Through is, is like, one of the better cantrips you ever get for red, or cheap spells you get for red. And I just think it's, like, hard to fit all of the things together. And so I was really kind of down on Magecraft because of that. I think that, like, it's never going to be a thing you're enabling efficiently yeah, unless they were really to support it, which didn't look like they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while, while cards like this tend to look really good, and the upside looks really strong. Like, you know, I, I think you pointed out that, like, it was good with, um, the adventure creatures, because when you cast the spell half of it, you'd trigger it, so your deck is kind of already meshed, and has, like, a good number of creatures and spells, so it was going to be playing on game plan, when you ca- game plan when you cast Heart's Desire, you'd be able to get a trigger and pump your whole team. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just a little more wary of, of cards that require significant investment either in, like, deck building, or uh or just for it to to get to the point where it's like an actively good card. Mm-hmm. Um like ahead of rate. And so Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I think also Mika was like a solid choice. Because... But by the way, it's Mila.
0: I knew I was saying something wrong the whole time. I wrote it wrong in the show notes before. I might even say it wrong during the set review, but it's Mila. I'm Mila. At it's Mila okay, yeah. and Okay, So
1: Mila Mila I think fell prey to the fact that uh, I don't know. Like, I didn't even think I saw him play one in mono white, but it just seemed like it's kind of fighting for the three slot, which is really competitive in the aggressive decks anyway. And uh, also, there's like no one's really defending planeswalkers right now in standard, and no one's like really pointing many removal spells at things because, especially in white, where white has Alseid and. Uh, selfless savior so it's kind of like your base is already covered there you drawing the card when it's targeted isn't that good and and Boros decks just never never came together that way but I, I think they're both solid picks both were like you know cards with with good upsides and, and reasonable floors light scribe not light scribe not as much but a much higher ceiling when, when it's really good you have a bunch of clarion spirit tokens and you cast a spell or two and then attack it it probably is you know the hammer you need it to be but uh you don't know. Just maybe maybe I'm a little too cynical when it comes to cards that require significant investment because I've played on the on the side of uh undoing investment too often, where you know like Dice to Doomblade is kind of a valid criticism if you jump through a bunch of hoops to make something strong. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's dice to doomblade is kind of why and like gets unsummoned, it's kind of why you don't see people just jamming random auras into their decks all the time anymore that's not a thing that just happens um it's the danger of it and so
0: 100 percent. you know yep yeah and i would say the last one of the mila that you mentioned is there was maybe some thought that skull decks could work with the new snarl uh and the snarls have just not really panned out we were a little hesitant happening we thought the red white one was the one with the most chance because their mana sucked the most uh but it just didn't really happen Speaking of which, let's kind of talk about the big metagame at large real quick here for Strixhaven Standard. Because I think the thing, from my, my perspective, that happened is... When we went into it, we were kind of like, sheesh, what's going to happen? Like, are, are these decks going to get a little upgraded? What's, are we going to play in the same decks? I think that's mostly true. But I feel like the format was underexplored a little bit. I think that narrative kind of got perpetuated. Bore out a little bit of the results. We did see the Prismari, the Prismari uh, treasure deck pop up a little bit with Goldsbrand dragon and Galazeth and stuff during some of the pro tours and whatnot and it, it did really well all things considered but besides that there were not a whole lot of new decks that really stood the test of the format over the course of all of it and i think that while i think the hive mind's really good at figuring stuff out i think we maybe rested on our laurels a little too much and there was enough incentive to play this standard format and i think it feels to me like there was stuff there that was still going on that was still strong and uh i I feel this way specifically because I wrote an article uh, for Car Kingdom, which you can check out each and every week at cardkingdom.com, uh, and I talked about three decks that were underrated for Standard. And it's funny because in my, like, Blasted Everywhere tweet, I put, like, my Prismari deck has the drip. And I built a Galazeth deck that was very, very similar to the one that we see now in Standard. I was, like, five or six cards off. I had a very similar build. And my other decks in that article I felt were not as strong as the Galazeth deck, but... I felt like there was some real potential there. I think we maybe didn't quite fully explore this format, but also, you know, sometimes it's hard to, and things like Historic really had people's attention. Then Modern Horizons came out, and so, you know, even that last little bit where sometimes you see some crazy deck pop up in the last month of Standard, there was no real incentive, and there was just a lot of incentives to do other things. So, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on the Standard format. I think it was fairly fun, the amount I played of it, but I, I won't lie... I've got sub 100 games of the standard format, which is not a thing that's happened to me in a very long time.
1: Yeah, I think... Um, gosh, what was it? But I think the flow of the format was a little different than that. We did see, like, Jeskai Mutate actually did crop up, and that was kind of oh, like man. a finished a finished job of refining all of what had been done by, uh, like, the, the deck previous... Like, mm-hmm. all of that time passed, and the people who were really working on it refined this deck. Some people played it at the uh, was it a Mythic Championship or Pro or a set championship, set at the Champions. set championship mm-hmm. uh, f- for the set, as well as the Dragon's deck. But, you know, I-, I think that the only cards that made a really big, big splash to me were uh, Elite Spellbinder out of the Naya Clarion deck. Uh, with like Rip Apart in the sideboard. I thought those were like pretty big additions because it handled the hend problem that deck had as well as kind of the the need for playing a good amount of removal. You, you like could condense that into one slot, which was really good. Um, and we saw iteration um, really show just how good it is. Uh, and so like as the format went on, we went from people playing Soul Tie with new cards and playing rogues to play around Soul and playing mono red to play on rogues. And I had that teamer list uh, with like comas that, you know, some some people ended up copying for like an SCG or two, which was. But but for a while, it was just assumed that like teamer was probably the best deck, teamer adventures, um, the lineup will against everything. But, you know, as the people played more games and as the power of. Uh, like span Dragon's play pattern played out and Expressive Iteration backed it up being really good cheap card advantage um, and card selection. Like, we were kind of at this place now where the format... The format's fine. You know, I played the standard challenge immediately after the pauper challenge yesterday mm-hmm. and all of my games were good. I didn't play a single game where I was unhappy. I thought the mirror matches I played playing... I played a blue-red dragons list that uh, Kane Reinhardt sent me. Uh, where he kind of like took the lists that were out there and made a list that he liked. And so, you know, like my matches were all interesting and good. Like uh you kinda had to know what mattered in the matchups and figure out like which battles you were fighting. Were you leaving up counter magic? Were you casting your dragons from for me? Or like, you know, there was clearly decks that were preying on that play pattern. Uh I lost to Mono White, which seemed absolutely prepared for the blue-red deck because all of the protection creatures plus, uh, plus Luminarch Aspirant and uh, Giant Killer and Faceless Haven, just all of it together really uh, really punishes everything going on in the blue-red deck. And yeah, like I, I think the format was good. It was just that there was not a lot of powerful things that shifted the balance um, outside of things that maybe tightened up the old decks that were not good enough. Uh like like Express of Federation and like Spellbinder, kind of giving those decks just enough boost to compete even more. Um and then seeing what decks were popular and how the matches were playing out and trying to fight on that on on those axes and whatever. And uh, you know, as as much as I think I I also I don't usually play that many matches of standard unless there's tournaments. Um, and when I do, I, I do play a good bit. I think I maybe did my dailies with Mono Red and Mono White a couple times on uh, on Magic Arena. And I played the one standard challenge and I watched a good amount of the format. And I, like I kept up with it beyond the SDGs I played in the very beginning of the format. But, you know, just not a lot happened. And I think the lack of tournaments that are really high profile, um, there were like some insight events that people followed, and the metagame did develop, and there was the set championships, but it's not a lot happened. I think that that's better than everything changing all the time, because you know, like I said, it was kind of nice to be able to say, "Oh, I like I understand what these decks are doing and what these cards are doing." Playing a gold span dragon, blue red mirror, it's like, okay, I I get it. Or like playing in soul tie, that deck hasn't changed much outside of maybe a handful of cards. They they play like more Gargaroth and stuff, but you know. You kind of, the format's really settled into place and you get rewarded for understanding what's going on. And all in all, a a good standard format.
0: Yep, I agree. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Constructed. Hopefully you liked this look-back episode, and we'll be back next week to talk about the Forgotten Realms cards. Abe, in the time of this recording to the next, we're going to learn 360 cards. So How exciting. If you want to follow Abe, you can find him at more Things. If you want to find me, you can find me at Mason e. Clark. both of those on Twitter. If you want to watch this YouTube thing and see the nonverbal jokes, see what Abe just did there and I said all of that, you can go to YouTube.com slash The episodes are all up there uh, and now in video format. So you can see me when I talk with my hands, I move my hands. Now you see that happen and, you know, not self-conscious about it. Why are you thinking that? It's not happening. My palms aren't sweaty. Stop looking at them. (laughs) Thank you all so much. And we'll see you all next week for another episode.